What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are back here in action, speaking once again with a cast member from the um, Emmy Award-nominated show, The Traitors on Peacock. The show came out earlier this year. Last week, we spoke with Robert Bam Nieves, uh, who finished, I think he was the third person eliminated, so he was out pretty early, didn't get a whole lot of screen time, but man, it was awesome talking with him. Hilarious guy, great guy, very smart, very intelligent, was fun to get his take on the show. And then a few weeks ago, weeks before that, we spoke with Michael Davidson, another cast member from The Traders. In the past, we've had Stephanie LaGrosa-Kendrick, Rachel Riley-Viegas, and Sari Fields all on this show. So today we are welcoming, I guess this is the sixth cast member of the traders to join us on the jack vita show uh she is a nurse she mysteriously walked quote unquote walked from the show midway through the show what happened there we'll find out uh and she's become a good friend of mine someone who i've greatly enjoyed talking to and is really a big time personality unfortunately did not come out on the show uh amanda clark stoner Welcome to the Jack Vita Show. Thank you, Jack. I'm really excited to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think so. I definitely think so. Uh, so you were the ninth person eliminated. You finished, which I guess I would make you finish in 12th place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's So I think it was episode five. Correct. All of the sudden, it was, I can't even remember if it was at the start of the episode, the end of the episode. All the episodes kind of blended together mm-hmm. because of all the cliffhangers. It was never really like a... Yes. yes, go ahead. I, I was going to say, it was the fifth episode. It was the end. It was the cliffhanger. And, and it was basically Alan just saying, the show must go on. What did he say in the show? Describe that. He said something along the lines of, like, Amanda is no longer here or something mm-hmm. like that. For reasons outside of her control. Okay. So, yeah. I think people all wondered what happened to you. On the Wikipedia, it says that you walked, making it yeah. sound like you quit. I know. I don't know who makes up these things. They must get bored, and they're like, I'm just going to go on Wikipedia and make stupid stuff up. <laughs> did not walk. <laughs> so she didn't walk. She didn't no. quit. Uh, reasons outside of her control makes it sound like you had either a panic attack <laughs> some kind of anxiety or mental breakdown mm-hmm. or some death in the family or some kind of family emergency that made you had to leave. But it correct. was neither of those things, correct? No. Nope, it was neither of those things. Um, even if I would have had a family emergency, my family knew that I was not coming home without money. I was very adamant about that. It's something me and my grandmother had even talked about. She has raised me since... I was born and she was like, if anything happens to me while you're over there, don't come home. Like, finish this strong. I was like, all right, Nana, I'm bringing you (laughs) $250,000. And I would never quit, ever. I can control and regulate my emotions very well. Um, So it was COVID. 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 So you had COVID. How did you, how does one get COVID on a show? Where you would imagine, first of all, what I know about some of these other shows is they're quarantining people. So, 
I know several other shows, they have people quarantined in a hotel for 10 days, two weeks even. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's shorter now because of, I mean, they probably aren't even quarantining at this point, I would think. Mm -hmm. But uh, they would have people quarantine in a hotel, get there for, you know, 10 days, just sit in a hotel and do nothing. Then they put people in the game. And then you're on a tight lockdown of everyone who works on this show is in this little bubble and Mm -hmm. can't go anywhere, can't go out into the town, can't go out into the bars. So how on earth could you get COVID after the show starts? Mm -hmm. Um, That is a great question. And whenever I was going over, whenever I was flying over, I was under the impression that everyone was quarantining because I was told that I was going to be quarantining. And unfortunately, that was just not the case. There were people who were being flown in even up to two days before the show was going to be filming. And they were not they were not quarantining for the same amount of time that me and Michael and Bam and all of the quote-unquote normal people were quarantining for. And unfortunately, we had filmed the whole first episode with a different person who the audience never got to see. And he tested positive for COVID the first day that we were there. This was after we had been hugging him, spending time with him eating food with him, riding on a train with him. <laughs> and he actually sat right across from me on the train. We were sharing tea. Um, and I tested positive for COVID, I think, seven days after that. So this person did not quarantine. But some of you guys, so it sounds like you you mentioned you, Bam, Michael, the civilians, the newbies. Sure. You guys all had to quarantine for how long before? So I was quarantined for six days. I know other people had said they quarantined for seven, some quarantined for five, but they were, I would say, a significant amount of time. I would say it was a fair amount of time. Do I wish that it was longer? Yes. And whenever I found out that people were just flying in willy-nilly two days before, that is something that I did talk to production about. And I said, somebody is going to test positive for COVID because they were exposed now. And it was me, the COVID nurse. I mean, I have been balls deep in COVID for years. And so it really, I think it affected me even more because of that, because of working with it for so long and seeing how it affected people and knowing that I lost this huge opportunity because of the disease was really emotionally hard for me. Had you had COVID before? Yes, this is my third time getting COVID. Third time. I got COVID in whenever it first started, the beginning of 2020. I got it in February. I actually was at Mardi Gras and I was sitting um, on a on one of the ledges overlooking the parade with people from Italy and Australia. And this is whenever m- mumblings about COVID had started, but nobody was really taking it seriously. And I tested positive a week after I got back. And did they have any other kind of like vaccine requirements or anything like that? So they did. You were supposed to be fully vaccinated. And I also know from talking to the cast that that was also not upheld for every single person. Everybody was treated differently. Some people had only had one vaccine. I had three. So it it didn't feel like they actually cared about our health at all. 
that's so strange because it seems like it's very much we want to make it look like we care about covid correct but we're not actually because i would think you either go all in or you don't do it at all correct. and i mean i just don't i mean personally i th i i mean it was a year ago so it's easier for me to look at it with my 2023 colored glasses mm -hmm. uh and 2020 you know <laughs> our vision hindsight is 2020 yes. that's what i was going for <laughs> hindsight is 2020 uh but i don't know i just i don't i can't imagine i i just don't i wouldn't have gone there i would have just said play on because i feel like if you like you, you can't go halfway in as you mentioned mm -hmm. you're gonna but no one was really privy to that information it was very much like we care about your health we need everybody to be vaccinated. People are going to be quarantining. Like it was very, it was very nice and it was beautiful and it was wrapped up in a bow. And then you opened it up and it was dog crap inside. <laughs> you're like, what is this? This is not what I was told. And I think that that is what upset me the most. And I had even brought my concerns to production over it. Um, and then to be honest with you, whenever I tested positive, I was like, are they punishing me for speaking out like that's what i thought it was at first but then i had a bunch of covid tests that i was taking in my little room that i was stuck in for for a week after and you know i was covid positive but i didn't even believe it at first like at first i thought i was being punished for being vocal about it so you thought you were being punished for being vocal about it how because i had said that people were going to test positive for covid that it was unfair like you, I never got to talk to like the head head people after that. Um, they didn't come to our rooms, but we had um, handlers, I guess is the best way yeah. to describe it. So I was expressing my concerns to them. And I was like, this is going to be a big thing. You know, co I mean, co you let COVID on, <laughs> on set. And from what I was told, even um, the behind the scenes production um, which there was like 400 people in that castle, you know, you never got to see all those people were even going out, going to bars and exposing themselves and then coming back. So whenever I had said, I got COVID from this cast member who you never got to meet, they were like, no, you could have got it from anybody. I'm like, and yeah, that's, that's the problem. That's not good. Other people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that would make me even matter. It's like, yes. you guys gave me COVID. Thanks. Like you made me yes. leave the show. And it, it's, it really hurt on top of that knowing because I'm not one of those people who this, this opportunity happens to them a couple times a year, right? I'm not Ari. I'm not Brandy Glanville. I'm Amanda Clark Stoner from Carlisle who is literally working in the trenches of a hospital, saving lives, getting poop thrown at me, <laughs> casting out demons in the emergency department. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I highly doubt after how vocal I've been after the show has aired that I will ever have this opportunity again because I wasn't going to lay, lay over. Like, I wasn't just going to, like, lay on my back and be like, oh, I'll just let you guys take the narrative. That's not who I am. And I'm not going to let you falsify the narrative to make yourself look good. Absolutely not. Well, and also, they didn't give you much screen time. This is... Correct. Go ahead. And I was expecting that 
because of because of the COVID, but it was just the treatment afterwards too. The, the disrespect. Like I'm a human being, and you said that you cared about me, and you've done every single thing to show me that that was a lie, and now I have no respect for you. So they essentially didn't let you really factor into the story of the show, which correct, which is fine, you know. Well, well, also. <laughs> Every, I mean, there are 20 people, so you can only make the show about so many people. Yes. And obviously, yes. a lot of these reality TV veterans were going to dominate the screen time. Like, obviously. the second yeah. they walked in, that was obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's what they wanted, too. I mean, that's why season two is just all celebrities and no normal people. Yeah. None so, of us peasants are allowed on the show anymore. <laughs> do you know? I mean, did they say why? Um, I think that they don't need to say why. I think that they've pretty much said the quiet part out loud in their silence and in their treatment of us. I think it's pretty obvious. And I know that's how all of us feel. Well, I know that last in the last episode when I spoke with Bam, I mean, I said that same thing is if they're going all celebrities, then they're the whole marketing strategy last time was we're going there was very limited advertising they Mm -hmm. released a trailer for the show probably like a few days before it aired it was all on social media there was nothing like you watch the the fox football on sundays and everything you saw was the um, special forces show which Mm -hmm. was a similar type of show where you had a lot of celebrities on it Mm -hmm. and you saw ads for that all the time so everyone knew about it and the only people like i talking about traders with people most people found out about it through this show, maybe through other podcasts. Mm-hmm. But really, I think the main thing was we're going to take these 10 reality TV, TV veterans and te- and use their social media followings, right. and that's going to be our audience. Which so, is wild because some of their social media followings were really small in comparison to people like Azra, who almost has 200,000 followers, versus some others who had less than 10,000. Well, so that was, then that's interesting you say that because also a lot of the promotional stuff mm-hmm. was just the celebrities. Like, they just, I saw the, the photo that they put out and it said this show was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Reality TV Casting. And who do they show? Just the 10 celebrities. They mm-hmm. don't show the whole cast. Mm-hmm. And like I said, all of that stuff, I don't feel any type of way about it anymore. Uh, I was expecting not being being edited out of the show essentially because of getting COVID. I was expecting that they would want the reality TV stars to be kind of like the poster children for the show. That was all expected stuff. It was, like I said, more of like the disrespect, the treatment afterwards. And also, I was not the only person to test positive for COVID during episode five and later episodes. So I think that's where I'm kind of like, why did, why did you pick and choose who who got taken out interesting so you and others others were, were tested tested positive at that Correct. same point but they were too far along they were too far along in the show i guess to take anybody else out what does that mean like they said we can only pull one of you guys for covid no so they just pulled me um and i was and i was done but i, I guess other people's tests had come back later than mine did. And so they were already, you know, filming the, the second half. So it was just too late to pull more people out. I think that they didn't want the bad press 
that it would bring that they had a COVID outbreak in Ardross Castle in Scotland. Um, I think in those things, it's better to just be honest and own your mistakes, but they didn't want to. They went the route of the NFL playoffs that same year. The NFL, the 2021 season that fall, all these teams are having COVID problems, Mm -hmm. players missing games, some teams having to reschedule games. It was a huge mess. And then all of a sudden, the playoffs happen. There isn't a single COVID test. Well, why is that? Because they stopped testing for COVID. Correct. So they basically... I mean, did they stop testing? I think I think Steph said they stopped testing after you got eliminated. So they continued to test, I think, for a couple of days, and I only and I only know that because I know who tested positive for COVID in the following episodes, and we're not pulled from those. I'm not sure exactly when the COVID. Oh, you cut out for a second, Amanda. Oh. You're back. Um, I was just saying I I don't know when the COVID testing stopped. It. It continued for at least a couple of days after I left because more people were testing positive. Yeah, so I think Michael told me that on this show, so I'm, I'm not, I'm repeating stuff that have, has already been said on this show. Mm-hmm. Steph said she tested positive for COVID. She did. And she had to... Uh, quarantine in a hotel for like a week before she could go home, which I know is brutal for her because she missed Mm -hmm. her kids and she's just sitting around not being able to be a part of their lives and come Mm -hmm. back home. And and let's be honest, the view from the Inverness Airport Hotel is not that great. (laughs) (laughs) You're like just staring at airplanes coming in and out every single day. (laughs) So you got it most likely on the train she says she thinks she got it when you guys were doing that one challenge we were flipping through the hymnal or the Mm -hmm. bible or whatever i can't even remember what it was in that church i think that the latin um, roman numerals what was that the church the church um yeah um I would be willing to bet that she probably came in contact with COVID whenever I did because she was sitting next to the person that I got COVID from on the train. So we were all sitting together. Um, now, on, we, we don't know for a fact like when when that exposure that, that gave us COVID actually happened with this person. Um, or, or she could have gotten it from, from me at the church. I'm not sure. Or from the other person who tested positive. I, I don't know. All I know is that we had a COVID outbreak <laughs> and it negatively impacted, um, you know, opportunities. And, and that's upsetting, but I definitely have, I've moved on from that. So the first person got COVID who tested positive was removed from the game and they brought in an alternate and Correct. then you, they didn't use the train scene or anything that was filmed then and they shut the game down for a few days i believe yes they shut it down for two days which if they would have continued those two days i probably would have made it to at least episode you know seven yeah um i was not on the chopping block at all um the faithful trusted me the traitors did not think that i was a threat um even christian had said that he was thinking about bringing me in a traitor gang you know, so there was a lot of ways that it could have played out instead, and my removal definitely changed changed a lot. 
And you might not have seen that or you might not have thought that from what you saw on the show, but it really did impact the game a lot. To the point of you not getting a ton of screen time, mm-hmm. I mean, they are probably coming from the perspective of we don't want to build you up as a fan favorite and then have you mysteriously disappear in the middle mm-hmm. of the show and right. not providing explanation. Uh, and then they also don't want people knowing about the COVIDness of everything. Mm-hmm. That, Which is but, out, though. Everybody's been very honest. Cody's talked about it. Steph's talked about it. Brandy's talked about it. You know, we've all talked about it. Everybody knows that we had a large COVID outbreak on, on the show. And I wanted to give you a chance today to tell your side of the story. Because I have heard those stories from other people. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, this isn't all entirely new information. But... Yeah, so they you didn't get a whole lot of screen time, but I think it's so then you had made mention of this by speaking out and and sharing is I know you posted an Instagram video and said why you left the show and you had covid. Mm-hmm. Um and you had said that probably is going to hurt your chances of getting cast on future shows especially with this studio. Um number 1, I can't imagine that that's something that you're overly concerned with but number two if they weren't giving you any screen time anyway Mm -hmm. like i don't really know what you'd have to lose because they typically don't bring people back on shows when they're on a show and they don't get any screen time Mm -hmm. correct so there were other shows that i wanted to apply to but i think because of this whole thing it's just not in the cards anymore you know like i would have loved to have been on the circle and that's actually what I wanted to be on initially. And then I got cast on the traders instead. Um, but it definitely does shut down future opportunities. Like I said, which is fine. Like at, at first I was really upset. Now I'm just very much at peace with it. So that's great that you're at peace with it. So your casting story sounds a little similar to Bam's. I know Bam wanted to go on the circle mm-hmm. and he got rerouted to this show. Is that what happened with you? I applied for the circle um, in about two weeks. I got an email inviting me to apply for the traders instead. So I made a little video in my pajamas. <laughs> I actually had COVID at the time that I was applying. <laughs> so it was my second time getting COVID. Um, and I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do. So I guess I'll just apply to the show. And yeah, they contacted me a couple weeks later and I did the interview processes. It took like six months. And it was an, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was an amazing experience. It was really beautiful until it wasn't. Yeah. And I mean, I made, we've made a little bit mention of this. You Mm -hmm. were very much in the thick of things based on what I've heard from other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that both Rachel and Stephanie have said that you were a very good faithful. And Mm -hmm. in order for them to have this uprising and beat the traitors, they needed other good faithfuls. And Steph has said on this show that losing you was like, she felt like looking back when she lost you, she, she's like, okay, I couldn't have won at that point on She needed you. And that's, that's how I felt as well. We were like, like you said, like I said, you don't get to see the, the game around me. Right. You don't get to see like what I was really doing, but I wasn't stupid. And I was really, I was really good at the challenges. I was good at making connections with people. I was good at making people feel comfortable around me. Um, 
And I even would go so far to say that I think Cody was breaking every single time he would talk to me. Like I could see it, that he was falling <laughs> apart. I'm like, this guy is so suspicious. And Steph and Rachel and I had an alliance. Um, like I said, the show could have gone, you know, probably 10 different ways if I would have stayed. Um, and and I, I truly, no offense to Suri, love, I love Suri, but I don't think she would have won if I would have stayed in and Rachel and Steph and I would have been able to create that alliance and overthrow the traitors like we were planning. So that's interesting. You were, let's see. So it was episode five mm -hmm. where it says that you walked and then the next elimination came <laughs> as Cody was banished, which mm -hmm. seemed like that was something that was like a, a snowball kind of rolling down a hill that was just gaining more and more momentum. Mm -hmm. Eventually yeah, he, he falling apart. So he gets banished, Angelica gets murdered, and then Shelby and Rachel are the next two banished, and then Steph gets murdered. So what do you think happens? Let's say you're still there, you still banish Cody. I mean, that that is probably what happens, right, if you're still mm -hmm. there, because you would have voted for Cody. I so would have Co voted for Cody, yeah. So Cody's out, and now do you think Angelica still gets murdered? And then if she does, how do you think, what, what do you think happens from that point on? Do you guys have a better voting block to target other people? So Stephanie and I and Rachel were all very suspicious of Christian as well. Um, so I think that, there, I think it could have gone a couple of different ways, but I also think that Christian and Suri might have recruited me since Cody was found out, <laughs> exposed as a traitor. So I think that it could have gone a lot of different ways. I think Angelica probably still would have been would have been murdered, um, potentially. But I I don't think that I would have been because because of the relationships that I had with people. Okay, so that's very interesting. So you would have accepted the bid to become a traitor for sure, hundred percent. And then I would have worked with Christian. How, how I think it would have gone down if I would have been recruited is I would have worked with Christian. We would have got Surya and probably um, probably have gone for more of a normal person dominated trader group. What does that mean? So not having any of the celebrities be be in, in trader gang. <laughs> take the power yeah yeah, yeah. Um, take the pay power take, out of their hands yes and just showing that we as normal people can beat these veterans i think that that's probably what what would have happened um like like we said before it could have gone 10 different ways but um in my mind that's that's where it goes um but who knows and it could have been i mean it could have been such a such a great show to watch as as a normal person sitting at home being like oh my gosh these these people have never been on tv before overthrowing them that would have been awesome to watch i know me personally i would have loved to see something like that but you know it's not how that's not how a cookie crumbled and that's okay <laughs> do you think you and christian would have been able to split split the money or do you think there would have been some backstabbing i think that christian was i think christian was found out already by by Steph and and Rachel and like I said I already had su suspected him and I know a few other people had too so I think that he would have been 
uh, taken out either way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then you're the last trader standing. Well, we, we would have recruited. We would have had to yeah. have recruited. So, so who, who would but you I, have recruited then? I think that the person I would have wanted to recruit the most is Andy. I had a really good relationship with Andy. I still have a great relationship with Andy. I love them and I think they are a great person. And you didn't get to see the conversations that we had that connected us in the show, right? But I believed in Andy's vision for their family's future on on the farm and, you know, wanting to have animals. Like, I understand that. So I would have wanted us to win so that way we could provide for our families that dream farm life that that we want. Honestly, I mean... You know, you might look at me and Andy and think that we're very different people, but we actually have a lot of the same values and same beliefs for what we want for the future. So I definitely resonated so much with Andy and, and their their dream life. <laughs> and they're <laughs> well, also building their house too. So we've been in the re- this renovation together on, on opposite ends of the country. That's, um no, I think that's a great thing is like when you have these shows and you have people from different walks of life who are very different from each other who come together and they, you know, different parts of the country, different, what whatever, they just, they look different or they, they sound different or they have different views on certain things. Mm-hmm. And we love seeing people kind of come together and build this community and I know that I've talked about it with Michael. I've talked about it with Bam. Is it would have been it would have been cool to see a little more of you guys spending that bonding mm-hmm. time together. And how are mm-hmm. these alliances forming? How are these voting blocks? And where are people kind of going with each other? Yeah, yeah. You miss you miss a lot of that in the show. That I think was really important to the storyline. But also, I'm not a producer, and I've never done this before. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was your take on the celebrities? Were were you surprised to see them all come in and which ones were you familiar with? Were you familiar with any of them? I wasn't surprised because we were forewarned that there was going to be celebrities on the show. I didn't realize it was going to be half of the cast. And whenever they said celebrities, like, I don't know where my mind went, but it definitely did not go to reality TV veterans. But I also don't watch a lot of reality TV, so my brain, of course, would not go there. I was familiar with Ryan Lochte because I had actually watched him compete in the Olympics. Um, My grandma thought he was just the cutest thing whenever he was competing all those years ago. So I was very familiar with him, um, and he he was the only one that I knew. And uh, were you, was he what you expected him to be? Oh my gosh. I cannot say enough good things about Ryan Lochte. He is, he is amazing. Like, I don't know what I would expect because I've never thought like, oh, I'm going to meet, you know, an Olympian. I never thought that, you know, but he just like exceeds anything I think that you could imagine about him. He's not stuck up. He's relaxed. He's easy to talk to. He loves his family. Family is very important to him. Um, He is just one of the chillest, most wonderful men I've ever met. And I, f- I feel like it's a privilege to say, oh my gosh, I know Ryan Lochte. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I definitely do not have a crush on Ryan Lochte. <laughs> How dare you imply that? <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Uh, there was a big, we, we made a little bit of mention of it. I know that there was a big mental component to this show. I also yeah. know that psych was pretty hands-on. I know that right. a lot of people had to go and talk to psych, although they I haven't. Did 
no one has really owned up and said, hey, I went to go talk to Psych, or here's what we talked about, or mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, okay. What, I mean, to my knowledge, no one's told me that. Like, mm -hmm. Stephanie, of course, is bragging that she never went to see Psych. Yes, and that <laughs> is something that I can also brag to you, and I, I don't, I also want to say, like, oh, I'm bragging, but I think that you have to understand where people are coming from in life. And this is something that I actually had a discussion with people on the show about. It didn't make air, but we were talking about stress and like everybody's stressed. And I'm like, I'm not stressed. I'm excited. And I don't remember how, how it was worded to me. Like, how can you not be stressed with this? And I was like, I literally hold dead children in my arms. Like that, if, if you have done that and you know that you were the, you were one of the only people that can help in that situation. And this is not me bragging, this is just a fact of my life and what I do, then you just learn how to regulate and prioritize emotion so you can operate at your best because you need to be the best for people in that moment. And now obviously nobody was actually dying in Ardross Castle, but because my stress threshold is so high, like all of that stuff, it was just more fun. It was like, this is such a great experience. This is yeah, like, I don't want to have to die, like, tonight. I don't want to get murdered. I don't want to get banished. But nobody's actually dying. Yeah, it's just <laughs> Nobody's actually, like, oh, you know, it's not the worst thing that can happen in the world. Um, so for me, it was, like, a lot more playful. And I think Stephanie, you know, she's been on Survivor, which is way more mentally tasking than, than the traitors. Um, so her and I definitely vibed because we, did, we didn't feel that we needed psych. We weren't overly emotional because we were operating based on fact and not feeling. Now, to that point, I do think there's something very much to that because growing up as a teenager, I definitely struggled with my share of depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then when I, and I've never been on any kind of medication for it or anything like that, and I'm doing great, I'm fine, I'm not sure. anything like that, but I was diagnosed with Graves' disease when I was 21 years old, and all of a sudden my body just, or 22 years old, I started, my body was falling apart. Mm -hmm. I, this thing derailed my life for several years, mm -hmm. caused through the roof anxiety as one mm -hmm. of the symptoms of it. And when you go through something like that, suddenly i think it 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 changes the way you look at the world and it it can cure you of mental health issues in a weird way because it went from me almost like valuing my life more and holding on to life more and having a greater appreciation for mm -hmm. for little things and of course my relationship with jesus christ as well has played a huge factor in that mm -hmm. but i do think there's something to that when you overcome real adversity when you overcome something like michael did as a kid yeah. like that that toughens you up that makes yeah. you stronger and in mm -hmm. some and i know he has had he's been open about some of his own yeah. Uh, struggles and battles that he faces and, and rightfully so of course that would cause that but at the same time I look at him and I'm like man what a strong guy like how could how could anyone go through what he's gone through mm -hmm. and that is one of the reasons why I love Michael uh, Michael's very open about his um, his mental health struggle too which I really appreciate about him because so many people like you said like nobody wants to own up that they want to see psych we know who went to see Psych because we were there, and it's none of it's not our place to to talk about that openly. Um, but a lot of people did need to see to see Psych because of where they were at in the game or whatever trauma was getting was getting brought up. Um, 
and I'm not saying that, th- that it wasn't a hard game. Like, yes, it was, it was mentally hard. Oh my gosh, there's a fly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was mentally hard. Um, but some, some people were able to regulate, re- regulate that better than others. And you mentioned Stephanie and how you guys bonded. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any fun Stephanie or Rachel stories? I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My favorite, oh my goodness, so many things are coming to my mind. But I will tell you this one time. Um, So after, after filming had ended... Rachel and I went to Amsterdam together. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. No, that's awesome. We went to Amsterdam together. We had like one night in Amsterdam. Uh, So of course we went to the red light district, of course. And we're so innocent. We've never been there before. Like I've never seen a prostitute basically naked in the window trying to like, you know, get her next dime. Like I had, I just was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just so not Pennsylvania. I have not seen that either. There's no honest (laughs) people. Like where am I? I had no idea what was going on. So, of course, we're taking photos because we're like, this is crazy. You know, like, I wanted to show my friends and family. Like, this is what happens in Amsterdam. Well, Rachel had taken a picture of me, and the, the prostitute was in the background. And <laughs> she got so mad. She had a very thick accent. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you. Maybe, like, a German accent. Really heavy. And she came out and threatened to harm Rachel and beat her up if she didn't delete it and stop taking photos. And I was like, you are going to get your ass beat by a prostitute in the middle of Amsterdam. And I don't even know where the hospitals are. We don't speak the language. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> so yeah, that, that happened and, and I love it. And I'm going to have to call Rachel after this and tell her about it. Tell her that we have a conversation. <laughs> so did Rachel back down or I can't um, imagine her backing down. No, no. So we just like, we did it discreetly, you know, like, oh, she's taking a picture of me with this little cart thing, but really <laughs> she's recording everything that's happening in the background. It was, you just had to be more discreet, but there are. So after this incident, we, we become more self-aware and aware of our surroundings. We realize there's like all these posters everywhere saying you, you cannot take photos of the prostitutes, you know, to respect them. And, um, which I thought was great. You know, we don't have that stuff here in America. You know, it's just it's just a very different culture. That's a great story. That's it's a great I'm story. glad you told me that story. <laughs> Rachel's gonna get her ass beat. No <laughs> Oh, that's that's hilarious. Yeah, I'm sure you've got plenty of great stories. And it sounds like you were you uh did you have a pretty good like is there a pretty good cast camaraderie? Like are there a handful of people that you're pretty close with? So I would, I think that everybody knows that Michael and I are very close. We talk every single day. I keep in touch with Bam, Christian, Azra. I talk to Geraldine weekly. I love Geraldine. Um, She's incredible. You know, whenever you see Geraldine, you're like, oh my gosh, this woman is beautiful. She's bodacious. She's like just insanely good looking. And on top of it, she's hilarious. Like (laughs) she's a 10 out of 10. I love her. Um, I still speak with Stephanie occasionally and Rachel. Actually, I told Rachel I was going to call her like two weeks ago and I had a really hard shift at work and I totally forgot and we haven't connected since. So I actually do need, I do owe her a phone call. Yeah, I'm surprised you still, that was like three weeks ago. Yeah, I told you about it. Whenever yeah, I you were like, her. I need to call, we talked and you're like, I'm going to call Rachel after this. And I texted you and said, say hi to Rachel for me. And then you're like, 
Oh my gosh, thanks for reminding me. And I yeah. guess that this is another reminder. So I give yeah. you a call. <laughs> I've just been working like really weird hours and the hospital's been really strange things happening. So every shift I have to like decompress. I'm like, did that really just happen? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything about this reality TV world that surprised you? Because it sounds like you weren't a huge reality TV watcher. Yeah. You didn't know who most of these people were. So what is there anything about the production, the editing, that really you were like, oh, wow, interesting. I didn't know they did that. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so there, – we could talk about this for hours because I had only ever really watched The Circle, okay? And so The Circle is very much like about like your – like people being themselves, right? And like, you know, they, they get emotional and, you know, so I was kind of expecting that. And then I got there and they're like, you gotta be meaner. And I was like, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. And, you know, so I think that that kind of caught me off guard and I was like, I don't really wanna do that. So like, I wasn't willing to say like really bad things about people <clears throat> on the camera, you know? I just wasn't, I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna be perceived. Like I just wasn't familiar with that type of like editing process, you know? And maybe if I was meaner, you would have seen more of me, but I was just, I'm trying to, not say anything that can be used against me in the future <laughs> type deal because I am not Brady Glanville who can legitimately do anything and get away with it. You know, I, I'm going to get <laughs> well, fired. That's from my debatable. Job. <laughs> she got, she's gone from housewives, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you start to, she went as far as she could go though. What was that? I said, she went as far as she could go. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, you start touching people's private parts without their permission. You know, I can get away with that in the emergency department whenever we're doing rapid <laughs> intubations, but, you know, that's medically necessary. <laughs> you can put tubes in all the holes. But, um, yeah. I, I, anyway, that, that is a whole different conversation, too. So I think for me, I was, I was just not coming from, you know, that, that place. And I, I just wasn't really sure, like, what they exactly wanted for me. So I just was like, I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> is there anything about the show that you would change in terms of format or production? Yes, 100%. And that is something that we've already touched on. Everyone should be quarantined for the same same amount of time, you know? Everyone. There should be a standard, and everybody lives up to that standard, no, no matter what their last name is, no matter what shows they've been on before. Jeopardizing people's health just because you play favorites is unacceptable, and that's something that they should learn from. Tell us how you really feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Listen, Jack, nobody got to see my feisty Amanda. I know. I know. It is upsetting. I really do like wish we could have you on another show because like we talked about, I mean, you and Bam, I think are huge characters and personalities. And unfortunately, because of the way that things went for you both, neither of you really got to be a big part of the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that's unfortunate because I mean, I, I know a lot of people were kind of saying that part of it again was the edit and they, you, they didn't, develop your stories and show your backstories and tell people who you are or anything like that. But I know a lot of fans were saying, man, these new people don't have a whole lot of personality. And personally, I think some of the people that we did see, they weren't huge stars on TV that, that mm -hmm. were some of the people who, and that's debatable. Maybe some people would say the opposite, mm -hmm. but 
I do think some of you guys were huge personalities with a lot of potential, but unfortunately, and even in the case of Michael, Michael got the screen time, and I said this on the last episode with Bam, Michael is so much smarter and wittier and funnier than I think the show made him look. I think I I agree, and I think that a lot of that had to do with his anxiety process as well and how he was presenting himself. I feel like whenever you get to know Michael, there's so much more to him than like a screaming Kentucky man. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't always scream all the time like if he did I couldn't be friends with him that is way too dramatic for me like chill out take a Xanax or something um, so I agree with that but he is so funny he is so witty and I wish that you would have seen more of that other other than like how they showed him they portrayed him as like this very like dramatic screaming man and like yes he obviously did act like that but He's way more than that. No, I didn't. I did honestly. I didn't love his edit. I really felt like because when I got to meet him, I'm like, man, like he is so cool. And I feel yeah. like the show, like it was. There were parts of it that was fun, but most of it was at his expense. And I felt bad for him, yeah. Especially knowing him in real life and knowing who he actually <laughs> is and how funny he is and how personable he is, how likable he is. Mm-hmm. He's a but one of my friends uh, listened to the podcast with him, and he's like, he's just such a teddy bear. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. Like, yeah. and he's so he's so clever. He's so creative. He's very witty and funny. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like we really only saw the kind of like, I don't know. They tried to make him look like a big time schemer too. Like mm-hmm. as if like I I don't know. I just didn't really get the sense of that. Really was who he was based yeah. on who I know him to be. And so I, my, going back to my original point, though, I think all three of you guys, glad to have you all on this show because I feel mm-hmm. like we get to see more of who you really are, what your personality is like. And I really do think each of you had much higher potential to be big characters on the show, had things shaken out a little differently. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, you didn't get to see my response to whenever I found out that Bam uh, had been eliminated, but I was gutted because Bam is such an amazing guy. He has an incredible story. And I wish that they would have shown that for him because Bam is a very selfless human being. And I think that what he does is very important and he's very successful. You know, I think that his story is so interesting, but you didn't, you didn't get to see it. So he doesn't, he doesn't talk guys. (laughs) It was lame. Yeah. Uh, And Bam doesn't talk about himself. Or carry himself in a way that of someone who's very successful. He's just like a normal, regular dude yeah. who's very fun. Um, and like, you know, what's something that I feel like also is, you know, I've grown up in around bros and being mm-hmm. in sports circles. And some guys who are kind of like those alpha male bros, they don't want to be friends with people who aren't also like that. Bam is not like that at all. Bam will be friends with anybody. And I think that's that's how we all should be. Like, we mm-hmm. shouldn't just think, oh, that person's not cool or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if someone's a goofball, we like the goofballs. That's yes. fun. We should all be a little goofy and not take ourselves too seriously. No, I 100% agree. And you also just reminded me that um, I actually have an unopened message from Bam, and I need to respond to that, too. I'm really bad at responding <laughs> to people. <laughs> we'll do a podcast episode where you could just call all these people and talk yeah. to them while we're on the show and then yeah. we just never post it anywhere because it'd be your chance to like yeah. make sure you do all these things <laughs> I'd be like guys I'm so sorry I'm just I'm tired and trying to make babies and work <laughs> 
any other takes or thoughts on the traders stuff that we didn't talk about because i mean obviously this is a show that you were part of and mm -hmm. has been a part of your life for the last couple of years i mean is there anything else you want to discuss on the topic of the show um i think that we we covered a lot of really great material um something that i think is worth addressing is the reunion because mm. i i received a lot of nasty grams about really reunion. yeah people are wild and the things people say online you're just like where do you where do you get the audacities to speak to me this way like i don't even know you but um yeah people had reached out they said that i wasn't talking you know that i was boring blah, 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 blah. okay you see what they want you to see right so they didn't find anything that i said to be important so they made it look like i didn't say anything at all um, but that wasn't the case. I actually did speak. Um, they just didn't find anything that I had to say to be worthwhile. So it just didn't get put in the edit of the reunion. Um, they told me prior to, to going on set that they were going to talk about me getting COVID and that they didn't want me to get into the weeds about it. That was a direct quote. We don't want you getting into the weeds about it. And I said, okay, I can do that. But then they didn't give me the opportunity to speak. So now I'm going into the weeds about it. Like you could have just given me the two minutes that you said you were going to give me, and I never would have gotten in the weeds about it. That's <laughs> real weird. It was kind of crazy. And so, um, yeah, so I actually did speak there. Uh, they didn't let me speak about COVID. They never asked me the questions that they said they were going to ask me. But, you know, I was responding to people. Ari and I talked. I was actually the first person to say anything during the reunion. Um, they just didn't use any of that. So I, I, I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you know, Jack, I mean, we have like three hour conversations. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I love those conversations, by the way. Yeah. So that's the thing with the reunion shows now that have been interesting because the real first reunion show I remember seeing, and obviously there was the real world, which was on in the 90s. So maybe that was a little mm -hmm. different. I don't know what their reunion shows were. I wasn't watching TV until I was, you know, six years old in the year yep. 2000 and Survivor came on. The Survivor reunions and Apprentice reunions and some of the other reunions, Big Brother, those were all live, live TV. Mm -hmm. And recently I've noticed with a lot of shows, these reunion shows, they basically, from my understanding, like The Challenge, The Bachelor, and probably some of these Bravo shows too, it could be a whole day of filming where you're mm -hmm. in a studio and they're giving you people drinks because they might want them to get a little more vocal. Yeah. Um, and they like confrontation. And so instead of it being like a 40 minute live thing where they're get, moving around and trying to talk to everybody, they're just filming, who knows, two hours, three hours, maybe it's even mm -hmm. five hours. And then they're just going to cut and edit it however they want. And I don't really enjoy those reunion shows personally, because for that reason, it's very heavily edited someone yeah. could respond to something and you just don't even show that like it doesn't serve a purpose to me to do a reunion if you're going to do it that way yeah um and i i was not a big fan of the traders reunion personally because first of all it dropped about seven or eight weeks after the show entirely dropped right. as a binge which yeah and that horrible idea about the binge thing everybody yeah. agrees terrible idea go on no i just think it's awful like I, and again, I am, you know, I'm a nurse Amanda from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I don't know about these things, but if you want a large following, you want people to like 
be on the edge of their seats. Like I, I love that feeling, right? I love watching a show and like, oh my gosh, next next week another episode is going to come yeah. out. And you look forward to it. You tell your friends and you post on Facebook, on Twitter. You know, you're getting all your friends hyped. Have you seen the show? You know, but not on a not on a show that you can just binge in a day. Like that seems a little lazy. I don't know. No, I agree with you. I mean, for two reasons. Number one is what you're saying. It would build up plus with the press and then again yeah. if they advertise the show too that would that would also help yeah. but i mean like if if uh it was a weekly show maybe stephanie and i were doing maybe we would have done weekly podcast episodes yeah. talking about it each week and then we'd bring different guests on from the show to talk about the show like mm -hmm. it would get so much more attention that yeah. would do well that would and then it, there'd be people that'd be like oh i missed the first episode sounds like people are getting into this show i should go back and watch it now i'm gonna watch yeah. the third episode and you just be building up momentum instead it was something that was over really quickly yeah uh after like a couple of weeks you know people binged it and that was it the second yeah. part is the financial model if you run a streaming platform, your goal isn't just to get people to subscribe for a service. The key is to keep them subscribing. Mm -hmm. So most people that I talked to that did not have Peacock who wanted to watch the show, they got it. Yeah. And then they binged it and they canceled it. And maybe yep. they even or maybe they even got a password from their friends and then they canceled mm -hmm. it. Yeah. There it's not a sustainable model because the goal like so what if you got someone to sign up for five dollars to watch it for or one month? Or there was like a free subscription too. I had friends that were doing the free subscription. They binged the show in a weekend or whatever, and then they were like, Oh, there's nothing else on here that I'm interested in and then they got rid of it. Which, I mean, The Office is on Peacock. That's the only reason why I have it at this point, because they're <laughs> amazing. But, you know, Jim and Pam all the way. But, yeah, I just, I didn't understand. Um, but, again, you know, I'm not, I'm not that person. You know, I don't do that. I don't do that. So, maybe no, I'm not. it's. You need to have people. And, I mean, Peacock has been losing a lot of money, especially over the last couple of years. They lost. I, I think they, they projected to lose multiple billion dollars this year. And wow. there's a reason why. Let's just say <laughs> that. <laughs> so does this mean I'm not only a Z-list celebrity, but I am a Z-list celebrity on a failing network? <laughs> oh my gosh. My dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> Have people stopped and wanted to take a picture with you or notice you anywhere? Oh, no. I mean, at work. Not once? No. Well, once, whenever I was at work, um... One of the nurses that I, so I travel for my job. I go to different facilities within within a hospital system near where I work. And one of the nurses, I was in a room. I was getting a patient settled, and I heard her saying, "Like Amanda looks like the Amanda from from the Traders. Have you guys seen that? Like she's even an ear nurse, and they're both ear nurses." <laughs> and I was just like, and then as I walked out, she was on her computer to pull up a photo of Amanda from the traders to show me that I look like Amanda from the traders. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh my gosh, wow. The resemblance is uncanny. Like, this is you. Like, this, you, this is who you are. <laughs> yeah. So we did get a photo, but that was like literally the only time it happened that I can remember. Um, a lot of my coworkers, Said, said things and wanted photos and some of the doctors were like can I have your autograph so I would just like scribble because anytime they sign something it's just like a line like they, they have 
hideous handwriting. So I just, you know, scribble and give us, um, like, there you go. So it was nothing, like, nobody, I'm not a celebrity. You know, I'm I'm a Z-list reality TV contestant on a family network. <laughs> Who I am, Jack, and now you have me on your show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I am getting places in life. So are you, apparently. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's funny that you, there was, you did get recognized, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. Mm-mm. Um, were you wearing your signature red glasses? Was I when I got noticed? Yeah. Yes, I was. Okay. That probably um, made part that, of it. That helps. But I also. You didn't bring them today. No, I didn't bring them today. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people didn't like in my area didn't seem to watch the show like people like my friends would be like oh did you guys watch the traders or like i'd be like doing ekg on a patient and they'd be like did you watch the traders like asking my patient if they watched it and be like amanda's on it your nurse is on tv and um it didn't seem like people even knew it like people like whenever whenever i was being told that the traders was like really popular and lots of people were watching it i was like well not in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, they aren't because <laughs> nobody's watching it around here. So I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what to believe. Well, they put know? the they put the tweet out, and it said twenty million people are watching Traders right now, or it said twenty million people have subscribed to Peacock. That's a lot of people watching Traders. That uh. was the tweet that Peacock put out. So what that meant, I looked into this. Twenty, they had at that point reached twenty million total subscribers. And about 15 or 16 million of those are people that get it for free with their uh, Comcast mm-hmm. subscription, Xfinity. Mm-hmm. So that really only means you only have about 3 or 4 million people that are paying for the streaming service. Yeah. Which is very, very small compared to, say, Paramount Plus, which has somewhere between 40 and 60 million. I think 60 mm-hmm. million or so. And then you get even bigger. You get to Netflix and you got 230 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was total spin. There weren't that many people watching it, but the people who watched it enjoyed it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And I'm happy about that. You know, like, good. I hope they enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. But no, it wasn't. I mean, if, if it was something that uh, millions of people were watching, that would be reflective in your social media accounts, Mm -hmm. uh, how many followers you guys are getting. There would have been more people talking about the show. Yeah. I think that, um, like my social media, my social media has always been small. Like I'm just not, you know, I'm not one of the, I'm not an influencer or anything. Um, you know, and it grew a little bit from the show, but I think that, um, Andy has had a pretty, I would say significant increase in, in their following. But I think a lot of that came from the queer social that they run with their wife, Jess, and they're getting a lot of traffic from TikTok, you know? So what I'm learning throughout this process, because this is just not something that I ever would have even noticed before, or like looked into is like the show didn't really get anybody, anything. It's really their own like undertakings, their own podcasts that they have. Like for Quentin, it's his, it's his job, like as a political um, commenter that really gets him his big following. Like he's over like 300,000 followers on his TikTok, you know? So it's really, and I hope that they're proud. I hope that everyone is proud for what they have because the show did not get it for them. Like yeah. they are doing it. Um, and it's, it's kind of inspired me too. So Brad and I, my husband, Brad, who's wonderful and amazing. And I cannot say enough good things about, I also have a crush on him. And in, in addition to Ryan Lochte, so <laughs> great. but um, 
we we've decided that we want to start our own YouTube channel about our farm, bringing on animals, like growing crops, kind of a beginner's guide to becoming a farmer. Um, and I would say that my castmates, the normal people, they've really inspired me to want to pursue that because I think that everything they're doing is just so amazing, and they did it themselves, not from the show. Yeah. Nobody, nobody put them put put them on a platform and you know gave them gave them their followers. So, well, um, I, if anything, I think the show took more than it gave in that regard because that was how I think the that the marketing was entirely. Let's have Brandy Glanville and Rachel Riley and Kate. Mm -hmm. And Suri or whomever these people are, yeah. Ari, they're going to post about it. And then those people will watch the show. That was yeah. the entire marketing campaign. Because like we yeah. said, there were no commercials. There was like very, very little promotion of the show. And uh, and then so that was pretty much the whole marketing strategy. So what are they doing for season two? Mm -hmm. We're going to double the amount of celebrities we have. They're going to promote yeah. the show for us. That's that's exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, it's just like another show about celebrities. There's like a hundred of them that I could go watch on Netflix right now. Like, I always want to root for the little guy, right? I always want to root for the underdog. And they're not giving that to us. And maybe, maybe I'm old-fashioned. I mean, I'm 32. I'm like an old person, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know what these young folks are interested in. Um, you know, and if that's what they want to do, that's awesome. If they think they're going to make money from it, great. Do I think it's a stupid idea? Absolutely. But again, who am I? <laughs> I think that they're really missing um, some some cool storylines. I'm just going to continue to watch The Circle. <laughs> <laughs> well, The Circle on Netflix, those people have huge followings from being on Correct. that Correct, and they're like the little guys. Like, nobody knew who they yeah. were, you know? Um, like, Shubam. You know, came in second place in the first in the first season, and I mean, people love him, and he's not this huge, you know, celebrity like Brandy Glanville or like this huge personality. He's a respectful person, you know. People love that, but again, I don't work for Peacock, so. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on uh, the traders? I think we're, I think that we have talked so much trash about it already. <laughs> I'm going to get a phone call for this. They're going to call me. I'm going to have will, to ignore their phone calls. Will too. they actually? Do you think they I actually don't know. will? I don't think they will. They don't care. They don't care. <laughs> They're like, Amanda who? I don't, we don't know her. <laughs> Fine. Well, Amanda has an incredible life story uh, and also an incredible testimony of how she she's a follower of Jesus Christ, as am I. And... I know that she's also, man, like, Amanda's given me a little bit of bits and snippets of her story, and I haven't heard it all fully, which I'm going to give her a chance to do so in a second. But I must say, like, listening to parts of your story, listening to parts of Michael's story, mm -hmm. it's just like, it, it, it really puts a lot of struggles and issues that I, like, some of us go through and we're like, wow, like... Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine what my life would have been if I had to develop the amount of perseverance and resiliency that you guys did. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to give you a chance to share your story uh, mm -hmm. and tell me a little bit, first of all, about your upbringing. Uh, and I'll give you, I guess I'll just give you a chance to say whatever you want to say. And then mm -hmm. we could go a little deeper into the face stuff. But how did you, what was your upbringing like, Amanda? Um, I actually grew up on a farm with my grandma and my grandfather. Um, the day that I was born, my grandma took me home. My mom was 17 years old. My dad was 17 years old. They were not 
living with their with their parents. They had their own apartment. Times were different back in the nineties, you know. Um, and they did not feel like they could care for me, or they didn't want to. I don't really know what the reason was, and I didn't really ever ask. But my grandmother took me home. My my maternal grandmother, so my mom's my mom's mom. And I call her Nana, and she's wonderful, and I love her. Um, but she took me home from the hospital, and she raised me like I was her own. She loved me. She cared for me. And I think she is one of the most incredible people on the entire planet. <laughs> and she enrolled me into um, daycare at a church from – I mean, my first memories are running around at the church. Um, she – always made us go to church even on days that we didn't want to. Um, I have a brother as well who she took care of about six months after he was born. We're like 18 months apart. Um, so we lived on the farm. We grew our own food. We butchered our own food. It was very, it was very plain way of living. Um, and this is in Pennsylvania? This is in Pennsylvania. We, yeah. Interject anytime you want because I could probably just go off on like <laughs> a little tangent here and be like, circle back, Amanda, come back. Your <laughs> main point, you didn't even start your first point. <laughs> that, that happens. <laughs> well, the church part is relatable for me because, I mean, when I had sports games, I had baseball games on Sunday mm -hmm. mornings, my parents didn't let me play. They said, you're going to church. Yep. And I feel like a lot of people who are Christian families aren't even like that anymore. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, that's how I'm probably going to be as a parent someday. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I hope to be as well. Um, my, my Nana struggled immensely. Like she didn't just follow God, you know, ever since she was a kid, she had a really, really difficult upbringing in a really, really strict and abusive home. Um, and she, that did not reflect on the way that she raised me necessarily. Um, I would say that my household was was pretty strict, but it was more because of my grandfather. He had cancer and he was suffering in a terrible way. He was always in pain, short of breath. He was on oxygen. He had lung cancer. Um, and I think that that made him more angry and he would react in a hostile way, even if maybe the situation didn't require it. So I wouldn't say that my, my grandmother was necessarily very strict, but more my grandfather was, was really the strict one. And we, st we still loved them. And, um, as a kid, it's hard to understand why you're, why someone is treating you the way that they're treating you. Right. And like, but hindsight's 2020 and I do understand and I forgive what, like how he was, um, because he was suffering in a way that like I could never imagine. Um, but they, they didn't ensure that we went to church. <laughs> And I, whenever I say, even if I was kicking and screaming, there were days I didn't, I wanted to watch TV, you know, because we weren't allowed to watch TV that often. So I wanted to watch like an anime or something because I was super <laughs> into anime as a kid. And she would drag me. She'd be like, you're going to church, you know, or like pick me <laughs> up and, uh, you know, throw me outside. And back then, and you might remember this too, like we, they used to lock us out. They would, they would send us outside and we'd have to play outside. And we weren't allowed to come back inside like all day. So that was what they would do. And then I'd have to like get on the church van to go to church on Sunday morning. And, you know, I'm like it's 1996 and I'm outside waiting for the church van to come pick me up because my grandma locked me outside the house, which might sound weird to some people. But that was a very like, I feel like it's a very normal upbringing for, for back then, but also in rural areas. Like that's not an abnormal way to grow yeah, up. Yeah. So I grew up know? in the suburbs and 
we had like my parents didn't lock us out of the house and mm -hmm. this was a few years i think you're four years older than me so this is a mm -hmm. few years later so early 2000s but mm -hmm. like that summer of 2000 which i mentioned when we watched survivor my parents i was six years old no tv no video games the mm -hmm. entire summer it was and so like technically we could be sitting inside the house but if we can't watch tv or play video games like if, why, why would we be why inside would in the summer like and it's it's kind of funny too because like this week it's going to get up to 99 degrees and some people i feel like now won't even go outside i feel like we were playing outside no matter how hot it was and that was just our you know you go and you knock on the other kids the neighbors doorbells you ring mm -hmm. the doorbells and you get the other kids to play and you're just outside playing all the time my my dad built us a clubhouse in the backyard like we had it was that was definitely like so there were a lot of similarities in mm -hmm. it, it was a different era yeah it was a different era it was a different way of growing up like like you said like no no watching tv no playing on the computer some video games like we think we had a nintendo 64 um but most of my time was spent outside in nature you know, helping my grandfather, like, yield crops and things like that. Like, I remember we would all sit around and we would, like, husk corn and we would, like, dig up potatoes together and we'd have, like, these big baskets and we would go out and collect, like, beans and cauliflower and pulling, pulling up uh, carrots. Like, my life was just very, very simple back then. And I didn't know a lot about, like, the outside world. Like, to be honest with you, I thought everybody was Christian. I thought everybody believed in God. I thought everybody went to church. And it, it wasn't until I was in high school that I realized that that, that, that wasn't the case. Um, but a lot of stuff happened in between, yeah. in between all of that. Um, I like to tell people that I, I've known the Lord since, since I was younger because of going to church. But I didn't really like lean into the Lord or like want a deeper relationship with him until I was older. And even up until recently, have I feel like I've reached like a new layer of, of desire to have a relationship with God. Um, but I guess we need to kind of like go back for, yes. for any of it to really make sense. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my family structure was my grandmother, my grandfather, me, my brother, and my grandma got pregnant at 42. And so then she had my aunt, my mom's sister, but she was raised as my, as my sister because she was years younger than me. Um, that was our, that was our family unit. And I already told you, my grandfather was really sick. He had cancer. Um, he had like a lung removal. So these are the things I was being exposed to as a child, like him being like cut up and sliced up and suffering. And, um, it was really hard because as a child, you can't understand what's going on. Right. As I said, and you don't understand why people are reacting the way they're reacting. Um, and it had gotten to a point where he needed a double lung transplant and, um, there was nothing available. There was, they put him on a list and they basically told him that there was nothing available for him. Um, I woke up, I was in sixth, I was going into sixth grade. So I had to have been probably like 11 years old <clears throat> and my grandma had shaken me awake. And I remember her saying, not even like, it just came out, your grandfather passed away. Pappy passed away. I need you to go to your aunt's. And so I, I get up, I walk through the house. There's police everywhere, like people in suits, police officers, ambulance. And I'm, and like my grand, my, my Nana's 
sister, my Bethany, she was there. And I just remember it being very like an emotional time. I didn't understand what was going on. And she took us to, to her house for the rest of the day. Um, and it, I, I was just so confused. Just a lot, you can't understand what's going on in that moment. I thought he had passed away from his lung cancer. Like I knew that he was sick. And my grandma then had told us that he actually shot himself. He took his own life. And being a child <laughs> and your father figure, who I mean, he was my dad, you know, passing away that way. And like, you just can't really understand like why he would leave you. It leaves you with like a lot of abandonment feelings, right? Um, and I think that's really like what changed like a course of my life from being like very like innocent, homegrown, um, very like family oriented, very like sheltered to maybe like something, something a little different that like put me on a different path because I was already dealing with like abandonment issues from like my own dad. Cause like I had asked questions. I'd wanted to know who he was and why he wasn't a part of our life. And nobody could give me answers. He just didn't want to be around. And I had known who my biological mom was and she did come around. Um, I just wasn't very interested in a relationship with her at that time. Um, so I was 11 whenever this happened. So I was, I was going into sixth grade. I started getting bullied a lot, like really heavily from the kids because of him. Like everybody knew that he had shot himself. So of course, sixth graders are cruel and they just blame you. They say it's your fault. They make up really nasty rumors about like why it happened, you know? And I think that I just got into a place where like, I had lost like so much confidence and like, yes, I was still going to church, but it wasn't like, it wasn't, I wasn't at an age where I could connect it. Does that make sense? And I still felt very, very alone. And so then as I went into seventh grade, still feeling all of these feelings, I kind of started getting into like the wrong crowd. I was like smoking weed in seventh grade, you know, and you might think, oh, Amanda, everybody smokes weed in seventh grade and you, or a lot of kids do, but like it didn't stop there. The per the progression of getting into the wrong crowd, just like it was like, as you said earlier, like snowball affected my entire life. And by the time I was 15 years old, I wasn't just smoking weed. I was snorting heroin and I was smoking crack cocaine and doing cocaine and crushing up methadone tablets that I was getting from like this 21 year old sketchy guy in our town, you know, and drinking heavily. So it like, it all started from like, I think that point of just like abandonment issues, um, not having a father figure. And even though my grandma was wonderful, beautiful, and was like giving us all the love that we could ever want, um, it leaves a really big hole in you to not have that. And so you start seeking it elsewhere, you know, and that's exactly what I did. I know that that's why I did it. I started seeking gratification elsewhere. I started seeking like men, boys liking me in ways that I would never have been interested before just because like you just want to like feel loved by something and you're going in all of the wrong directions. And I overdosed uh, very young. My first overdose was at 15. My last overdose was at 17. Um, and whenever I say overdose, I don't mean like Oh, like I was puking and, you know, I went to the hospital. I mean, like, I don't remember, like I was doing drugs. I don't remember what happened. And I woke up in a hospital multiple times or like having seizures 
from the, the amount of drug use that I was wow. doing. I was in, I had been arrested and I don't really ever tell people that, but I was arrested for drug trafficking whenever I was 15 years old because of the large amounts of drugs that I had with me. Like it wasn't just a little bit, it was a lot. Now, all of that stuff obviously like has gone away, things have changed, but I mean, these are really heavy things to go through as an adolescent. Um, and a lot of trauma that goes with it as well, because it's not just, you know, the drugs, it's the people that you're around. It's what you're being exposed to. The first time that somebody ever asked me if I wanted to go with them to murder someone, I was 16. I was 16 years old whenever I first got that proposition. And, and like, I still think about that. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they actually like went and harmed that person, but I was 16 years old and I actually got the call. Like if I wanted to be involved in a robbery where they were planning on ending a person's life. So whenever I tell you I was like heavily into this life, I was heavily into this life. I never, I never harmed anybody, but like people thought that I would, you know? So it was bad. Um, and the only thing that brought me out of it was, I uh, was God and my, I had struggled with my faith and all of that. I never stopped believing in God. I knew that God was real. I just didn't think that God loved me or I thought that I was unlovable. And I projected my own insecurities and my own human emotions onto an omnipotent being and said that you can't love me because I'm unlovable. And I learned over time that I was completely wrong. <laughs> um, I actually had, I call it like a vision. I don't know how else to describe it to you. Um, during the process of me being involved in all of the drug use, I had been shot with a CO2 pistol in the head. So I had a, uh, I had shrapnel in my skull that needed to be taken out. I know it's wild. Um, and I still have like my entry wound and- Wait, you know, but how like why like what i don't happened? know i don't know i was in a i was in a park i was using drugs and someone came up to me and they put a co2 pistol to the side of my head and they pulled the trigger and i got shot with this like co2 pistol in the face um i had thought that the bullet had like bounced off my skull or something and i found out later whenever i was getting x-rays done for a, a different injury that i had um that I had a bullet in my head. So they were like, we have to take that out. This was like months later. Wow. And so, yeah, I had surgery at Hershey Children's Medical Center because I was a child. <laughs> and you can like, I'm bald right here. I don't know if you can really wow. see it. I can I'm see bald. a little bit. Yeah, I'm bald right there because that's where they had to go in. And something they said to me is after the surgery, they said to me, we don't know how you are not blind how you didn't, how you were not killed in this incident. They're like, you were shot here. Like I have an entry um, scar on the side of my face near my eye. The bullet was on in the back of my head on the hardest part of my skull. And they're like, we have no idea how this, like the math ain't math and the physics aren't phys physics thing, you know? And um, so not only was that like, wow, this is incredible, right? But also when they were putting me under for the surgery, I had this like dream. I don't know, vision. Some people will say it's from the drugs. I don't believe so. But there was this light that was so bright that I could not look at it directly. So I, I was holding my 
hand over my face so I couldn't see this light and all I could see was like the edge of it and it was like every single color you can imagine protruding this incredible light where like everything else was like non-existent and I saw all of these like flashes of like my life doing drugs like places I was doing drugs um and then the end times what I would call as the end times um suffering and insane loneliness like an absence of love and just feelings of like complete darkness, which is like the absence of God. And I, it's going to make me emotional. I screamed in this, in this vision that I had. And I said, save me. And I heard this voice that everything, and there was like this, like building up like this background noise, like the reverberation of like it leading up to it. And I screamed, save me. Cause it was getting so intense and so loud and so horrific sounding. And I was still in the same place whenever it all stopped. I was in like the same place of like where I was like using drugs and like this area that was like significant to it. And it went completely silent. And I heard a voice say, it's too late. And then I woke up. I woke up from my surgery. And it was, and it changed my life. It changed my outlook on life. I went home from that surgery and I started cutting people off. I started cutting all of my, all my friends off that did drugs. Um, I was harassed for it. I actually um, had people try and assault me because of it. Um, because they thought, they thought that I was trying to get out because they thought I had like stolen drugs or something, you know? And it wasn't, I had like had this epiphany that like, if I don't stop what I'm doing, it is gonna be too late. You know, like I'm going down a path that like, might affect my entire life, you know? And that was really hard. And I call it like, I would say that it was a transition period because it took a good like year and a half to like totally cut off ties, totally like not have the feeling of wanting to do those things anymore. Be like, oh, you can just do it once. You know what I mean? Um, and it took until like the senior year of my, of my high school to actually being a place that I would say was clean and good. Um, it just getting out of that life, getting out of that lifestyle is really horrific and they don't make it easy on you to do it because those people want you to stay in it. They don't want to see you succeed. Um, I never would have thought that I went to college. I never would thought would have thought that I would, you know, do anything remotely, successful in my life back then, you know, I had no goals. <laughs> I had no resources, you know, at that time. Um, also, I'm just going to point this out too. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but even on like, uh, this side of my face, like I can't even smile like as big because I don't have like all the sensation from that surgery. I'm looking, I'm trying to look at it and I'm like, oh, it's backwards. So I was like, wait, which side is it? <laughs> yeah, I can, so, I can see it a little bit. Yeah. So like some people will be like, oh, you have a crooked smile. And I'm like, no, it's just because I can't pull up my face that much on this side. Like I used to like be like numb on this side, like, and it was like drooping, you know? So I'm happy that I got sensation in my face back. But um, yeah, that was all from the trauma of everything that had happened. Um, anyway, I digress. So it really... It really was to me, and some people will say otherwise, an act of God, like really communicating with me in a way 
where it hit home, right? And I feel that that is that is what started me on a on a completely different course because I was I was definitely leading down a down a road that was going to kill me. I was going to die from from my drug use, or someone was going to kill me, or I was going to be drug tra- or like sex trafficked. You know what I mean? Because of the the people that I was around, it was definitely going to happen. I remember going to um, a drug deal one time. And these people that I were with were like in their 40s and 50s. I was 15 years old. And I remember thinking, they're going to sell me for these drugs. Like, and I just knew that that, that that was a possibility. And I went anyway. Like, so I knew that like all of these things could happen to me. And I was just like, that's fine. You know, it's okay. And if it happens, then I put myself in that situation, you know? Um, so... I needed an intervention of God. My grandma was praying for me, right? Like she was, she was always supportive of me. Like she, she never stopped loving me through any of this. And she always was like rooting for me. And I remember one day coming home and being like, man, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like she knew, she knew that I was using drugs. She knew about all of it. Um, and I, she was just so happy. Like, you're finally coming around. She she made a comment. She's like, whenever you turned, you know, whenever you were a teenager, you took your brain out of your head and you just like sat it down somewhere. I'm so happy you're finally coming around and picking it back up and putting it back in your head. So, um, um, that, that like epiphany, that vision is really what started me down a different, a totally different path. And it wasn't my end path right like it was just uh it was a better path than what i was going on but i was still very like confused and still still learning not really wanting to be like fully in right i still wanted like one foot out one foot in um and that unfortunately i hate to say it but like that was whenever i was you know a high high school student i was i was a senior and now i'm 32 years old and just recently, like within the past year and a half, have I really started to feel like I even understand a fraction of like the goodness that the Lord wants to give me and like wants to do in my life. And it and it sucks, but I feel like in my suffering, it's taken me to suffer to like recognize that, which is wild, you know, because why does it take me being like absolutely desperate? To be like, okay, God, I'm willing to hear you now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I uh, I was just probably a couple weeks ago, I was working and I said, I was like praying so heavily about like the, the desires of my heart. And I'm like, God, I would do anything for this to be a possibility. And I felt this like silent voice say, but would you be obedient to me? And I'm like, okay, fair point. You know, um... Whenever God wants you, he doesn't want you to be lukewarm. You know, and the Bible's pretty pretty uh, clear on that. And I think we as humans, whether it's our culture, whether it's we are just like getting clouded by like the things in our, in our society or like our churches aren't teaching it, you really have to make a decision if you're going to be 100% in or 100% out. And there's no in-between, you know, we shouldn't be lukewarm Christians. So like, I feel like at 32 years old, I haven't really gotten much further than where I was 
you know, as a, as a senior in, in high school with my walk with the Lord, and it has taken immense suffering for me to even come to the realization, like, I need to do better because this whole one foot in, one foot out is really not working for me. <laughs> and um, you and I have discussed this before. I think that a lot of it is reading the Bible, which is which is so much harder than how it sounds. Like, it sounds easy. You open it up, you read. But if you don't have the discernment and you don't have the spirit and how you're supposed to read it, then you're not going to understand. So it takes work. I, I believe that God will meet us halfway, but we have to do our work. And I'm in that period of my life now where I need to put in the work. <laughs> and I think that after I got out with COVID on the show, I was, I did the blame game a lot with God. Like, why would you do this to me? Like, why would you put me in this position just to like take me out of it? And I've prayed about it a lot. And I was like, I was not the person that God wanted me to be for millions of people to see me. Like if I'm going to be a woman of God, and if I'm going to do anything for his kingdom at all, I cannot have footage of me out there doing and saying the things that I was doing and saying, and calling people names that I was calling people. And so it's really just, it's really just been so much work. <laughs> you have to put in the work in order to even to even understand like what what God wants for your life. And it takes a lot of you like casting things that you think you can't live without away. And that's something that um, I've told you with like me and my husband are trying to do with our farm is like really trying to get away from like the world and its ways. I'm trying to go, get back to being homegrown and a lifestyle that like I lived growing up where we didn't have like all of the influences of, of this culture to, to hinder our, our walk with God. Sorry if that was a lot. I no, feel like I might have, no. like, my brain is like this. It just goes like this. No, it's, I'm the same. I'm the same way. Uh, I just want to say one thing, first and foremost, thank you for sharing all of that. Mm -hmm amazing story second thing i want to say is i think some people might hear you use the word work and they might think you're talking about something than what you actually are talking about so mm -hmm. i'm going to try to uh share another definition of what you're saying because i okay. think some people and you can say if i'm right or wrong but some people have the they believe that they can get to heaven or that this is all on their what they can do on their own Oh, that's, yeah. that's that's it's a not very Catholic way of thinking. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, that's like I mean, so you know, Ephesians two eight and nine. For His big grace, you have been saved through faith, not mm -hmm. by works. And yeah. you, I want to make sure you aren't saying that, man. I got to do all this work so I can get to heaven. No. But what Amanda, I believe what you are saying is, I really got to put Christ at the center of my life. Christ yeah. has to be my number one priority. And there are a lot of ways that I can can make it easier for me to do that by removing things from my life and being mm -hmm. spiritually disciplined and having discipline to study the word yes. and be diligent in prayer. That's what you're yes. saying. Now, Amanda, obviously you and I are friends and yeah. I've gotten to know a little bit about your life and I'm sure we'll spend more time together and I'll meet your husband and mm -hmm. look forward to meeting up with you guys at some point. Um, but something that I know that you have mentioned to me, which I'm sure you would enjoy talking about, is your husband, Brad, and the impact he has had on your relationship with Christ. 
Yes. Um, Brad is not a normal human being. I just want to put that out there. And everybody who meets him knows it. And it's so funny because all these people who have never met each other always say the same thing about him is that he's, some people will say he's not human or he's bionic, he must be bionic or how, how is he a, a, a real person? Because Brad is just so good and, and pure. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. It's going to make me cry. He's <laughs> amazing. So my life was very chaotic. There was a lot of confusion in my life. There was a lot of bad things in my life, ups and downs. Brad's life was completely different. Brad was brought up by his loving parents. They were married, uh, brought up in the church. He went to a, like a public school, but it's like a kind of a rich public school. You know what I mean? Like everybody drove their BMWs to work or to, to school. Um, their parents like Jaguars and stuff. Um, but Brad never let any of that influence him. He, he remained pure. He didn't date. He did not have any type of like sex with anybody. He did not fornicate with anybody. He had options like women, you know, girls put themselves out there for him and he just refused to do that. It's just not something he was interested in because of his faith. And whenever I met him and now that we are married, his faith and the way that he conducts himself has been really inspiring for me because I, my grandma was wonderful. I just want to put that out there. She was wonderful. But like to see a man walk with Christ, it looks different from how a woman walks with Christ. And that's just how it is. You know, some people, they might not like hearing that, but that is the truth. And it looks different for, for men and women. And it was really inspiring to me. And I was like, wow, this, this changes everything. Um, one of, uh, one of my first dates with him, he was like, I want to take you to church. I want you to meet my parents. I want you to go to church with me. Like nobody had ever said that to me before, <laughs> you know, and, um, he makes it, um, he reminds, I always tell him, I was like, I married my grandma because he's very <laughs> adamant that we go to church every Sunday. And if we can't make it to church for whatever reason, like say we were, we were going on a trip or something, we'll be driving down the highway. And he's like, Hey, church just started. Do you want to pull up the stream? You know, and then we'll like stream it in the, and I think it is so, it's so refreshing to be around someone like him and to be loved by someone like him, but it's also so important to have a partner like him. And if you are a Christian man or woman and you are looking for a partner, it is so important to have a partner who loves God and who is chasing after Jesus faster than you are sometimes too, because they are going to grab your hand and they're going to pull you right along. And it's really important in building such a strong foundation for your marriage and for your future and for your faith. <laughs> well, that's what we talk about, Amanda, is you are wanting to have Christ at the center of your life mm -hmm. at all times. That's something that you are pursuing right now. And you're really trying to grow in and study God's word and develop uh, discipline in a lot of areas mm -hmm. to push yourself to go deeper and yeah. in order for you to do that as a unit you need to marry someone who's also doing that because yes. otherwise you're going to get pulled away from it if that yeah. is a, the number one priority in your life you need someone else who that's the number one priority mm -hmm. in their life and now that i'm married and i look back on my life and i see why things didn't work out like i was i was engaged three times jack okay you know no, <laughs> I, mean, I, I was engaged three times 
And I was always so upset. Like, why is this not working? Why is it not working? You know, and I wanted it to work so badly and it, and it didn't. And looking back, I'm like, it is so clear why it didn't work. First off, they were just not for me, but they were not like, we were just not equally yoked. We didn't have the same, the same goals for our faith and our, and, and our relationship and our future. And the more I'm learning about the Bible, the more I'm learning about what it says, the more I understand why God says what he does in his word. And so many people take what God says is he's restricting you. He's telling you, he's controlling you. And he's just telling you that you can't do things because he doesn't want you to be happy. That's what the world tells you. But in actuality, the Lord is laying out things and telling you that he wants you to be disciplined because he knows that if you are, you are going to have a happier, healthier, more productive life than you would if you just engaged all of your sin the way you want to. And I'm just realizing how true the Bible is. And I keep telling people, um, even even my coworkers, they're probably sick of hearing it. Um, be abstinent, you know? Don't drink heavily. Don't do drugs. Don't listen to secular music that's talking about murdering people and harming other people and doing drugs and talking about sex. Like, that is not what is good for your mind. Garbage in, garbage out. And I've lived it. So I, I definitely understand it. And I'm still... I'm still growing, you know, and I'm still learning and I'm not a perfect person. I sin every single day. Um, but it, it's just so interesting whenever you get to this point in your life that you're like, wow, God, I thought you were trying to control me, but really you loved me and you just wanted what was best for me. And I probably could have had what was best for me 10 years ago if I just would have submitted then instead of being like, oh, I'm just going to be willy nilly and one foot out, one foot in. You know, after I had my revelation. So it's just so interesting how how God works. You can either go the the shortcut way, the way that God like the the straight and narrow path that you know is less traveled. You could go that way and like you could just get what you want instantly if you were disciplined, or you could just go the long way and get lost for 40 years in the desert. <laughs> so that's that was like me. <laughs> ten out of ten do not advise. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's 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 a learning God's, process. God's a loving father. Yeah. And he gives us structure of what we should and should not do. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that loving parents are, is mm -hmm. we don't want our kids to jump off of the slide instead of sliding down the slide. Yep. And I think that is something that you're totally saying is if you follow, first of all, if you have an encounter with Christ and you commit your life to Christ and you put Christ at the center of your life, over time, you'll see your desires change. Your desires yeah. become those of bearing the fruits of the sp spirit yes. and That's loving true. others and being kind to others and showing patience and serving others. And you die to self. It's not about you. It's about mm -hmm. putting Christ first and loving others mm -hmm. and sharing this truth with the world. Mm -hmm. And um, then to the point of, you know, so many times... I have wanted things and I've asked God for things and God, mm -hmm. God's sovereignty has overruled those yeah. things that I thought would be great for me that ultimately would have hurt me or would not have been as good for me. Or there was something else that he was leading me to. Mm -hmm. And it might not even be in terms of something that's like super successful. I'm not here to be my own God. I'm not here to make the most amount of money and be the most mm -hmm. successful person 
I'm here to serve Christ, whatever that means. And I might get sick. I might be poor. I might have Graves disease in my situation, Mm -hmm. but through whatever those things are, um, in my situation, Graves disease, it was an opportunity for me to go grow closer to Christ and share that story to help other people. Yep. And I, I think that in our, in our struggles, uh, it's so important to not be, I, I understand that whenever you're going through something really hard, like Graves disease or things that I've gone through in my life and things I'm still going through in my life, because my life is not perfect and I am suffering. Yeah. I'm just suffering in ways that I don't tell people. Like I have health issues going on with me. Nobody knows about. Um, and it's not something I plan on telling people about because I know that there's going to be a victory and I can't wait to use it as a testimony and give everybody the full story, you know, and I'm just not there yet right now. But for like even fertility, that's something that I'm very open about. Like I could, I was mad at God, you know, and I'm sure whenever you had your Graves disease, you felt some type of way. There's, you get this visceral response. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Or I don't deserve this. And maybe you didn't experience that, but I know I do. And I know a lot of people who have been through stuff like that where they do the blame game. Um, but it's, it's actually an opportunity for you to say, God, I trust you. Right now sucks. <laughs> I'm unhappy. I feel alone. I don't feel like you're here, but in your word, it says you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. So I'm going to lean on that and not lean on my own understanding. And I'm going to stand firm on my faith and proclaim that your victory will prevail. But that is so hard to do in the moment. And that's something that I'm learning to do is anytime like a negative thought, I'm like, I cast out negative thoughts. I cast out negativity and really trying to like command it um, because we do have power in Jesus and who he is. It's not because of who we are, but he resides in us and works through us. And we just need to be faithful through the struggles and it's really difficult though. (laughs) But also, also God, not, you know, God allows bad things to happen and we can't understand Mm -hmm. why we can't understand what happened with your father or some of the other terrible things that you had to go through. Mm -hmm. But, but for whatever reason, God allowed it to happen and we never know why. And, um, even when God does not answer those prayers or, we don't um, see the the miracle that we might want to see, that doesn't change who God is. And that mm-hmm. doesn't change how loving and good he is. And I look at some of the, look at Jesus, who we are, you know, the term Christian was created kind of mockingly to mm-hmm. Im- someone who is a little Christ, like Christ follower, basically. Yeah. And if we are wanting to be Christians, then we're going to suffer because Jesus suffered more than anyone mm-hmm. could. And he was put on a cross for our sins. Characters throughout the Bible, Joseph is a great example, or Job and, and people yes, that Job. really just had to to suffer. And you know what? There are certain people and certain things that we cannot overcome and we might not ever overcome, but there's something greater on the other side. This is mm-hmm. life. Isn't what it's all about. Mm-hmm. I think people lose sight of that though. And they get um, consumed by whatever it is that's making them unhappy. Um, and not, I want what God has for me a hundred percent. Right. Like 
I know that like with God, my life can be insane, insane, like beyond my wildest imagination, you know, but if I just get stuck in sadness and I'm depressed and I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do anything anymore because I'm being held by the depression. Like I can't have the fullness of God if I'm too afraid to like go do things because I'm so depressed over something that happened 10 years ago, you know? And so like, it's just, it's just really such a learning process for me. And, um, I, I feel like so many people are stuck, you know, but that's because they don't know. And like, I, it's harder for, it's hard in our, in our society too, you know, because our society is telling us completely different things than, than what God tells us. She's Amanda Clark Stoner. We've almost reached the end of this podcast. Is there anything else you want to discuss today, Amanda? Um, I think that's good, Jack. I'm just really appreciative <laughs> that you that you have me on. We always have a good chat. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, we can do it again soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for coming on. Please throw out your social media handle or anything that you'd like to plug or promote. Alrighty, so I only really get active on Instagram. It's just underscore Amanda Stoner. Um, I am going to be creating a YouTube channel. There's nothing posted on it, but it's on YouTube. It's at Stoneacre Farms. All right. Look for her on Instagram. Give her a follow. Amanda, I love this. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jack. All right, y'all. That concludes our conversation today with Amanda Clark Stoner. Guys, what a fun conversation. What an interesting, powerful story that she has, not only from her time on the traders, but also her life and her relationship with Christ, her relationship with her husband, Brad. Um, What an awesome, awesome person Amanda is. I'm so glad that I met her uh, and that we were able to have her on today. So if you guys enjoyed what you heard from today's show, please hit subscribe wherever it is that you listen to this show, if it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, hit subscribe and turn on notifications. Follow along on social media. I'm at Jack Vita Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We will be back soon with more conversations with interesting people. One episode that I'm excited for that should be, maybe it's already dropped at this point, maybe it's coming after this, is I will be speaking with Miss Indiana USA, Haley Jordan. She's a sports reporter. She's been on this show uh, a couple of times in the past, and she was just crowned Miss Indiana USA, I think it was uh, last week. So she's got an amazing story herself. She's also a Christ follower, and I'm certain we'll be having more contestants on from reality TV, probably some Survivor contestants soon, and who knows, maybe uh, some more Traders contestants if any more of them want to uh, slide into my DMs and and get on this show, I'll be happy to welcome them on. Until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters.